If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. Have you ever read that and wondered to yourself, is it worth it to be called out of the world? Well, good morning, everybody. It's really good to be here on the Cedar Falls campus again. It's great to see your faces, and also welcome to all of you joining us um, via live stream at home. You're a really important part of our community, too, and we're glad that you're here. Well, my name is Steph Roller. I'm on the teaching team here at Orchard Hill Church, and we are in week two of a series called Is It Worth It Anymore? And the idea for this series began way last winter when the teaching team was hearing questions from some of our especially younger members of our congregation. And these questions were things like, is it worth it to be a Christ follower? Is church worth it? Is it worth it to read the Bible? Is any of this faith stuff worth the effort? And those are fair questions and honest questions about faith. Don't bother God or the teaching team at all. So here we are. So whenever you ask the question, is it worth it? What you're really asking is this, is what I get out of it worth what I put into it, right? Is the benefit worth the cost? And so the team agreed that since I had spent the first half of my life as a non-believer, it would be good for me to talk about this. Is it worth it to turn away from what the world teaches and follow the teachings of Jesus instead? Because I have followed both paths. So, Steph, has following the gospel, the good news of Jesus, been worth it? Is the benefit worth the cost? Now, some of you might be thinking right now, hey, the gift of salvation is free. We teach this all the time. We can't earn forgiveness. We can't earn God's love. We can't earn eternal life. So how can there be a cost to talk about anyway? It's free, and you're right. We can't earn any of those things, but to actually follow Jesus throughout our lives is costly. And it's so costly that Jesus himself told followers to count the cost before they committed. And he does this in Luke 14, and we're in verses 25 through 27. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, your wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, just to be clear here, Jesus is not actually telling us to hate other people. Remember our most important commandment, right? Love God and love others. So he's not saying to hate, but he's saying by comparison, your love for God must be so great that everything else pales. So that it seems you hate those things. You can't put other plans, other people, or your own desires ahead of him. And so that's a cost, isn't it? Putting God first? Ahead of ourselves, our big plans, our own desires. It's sure a big cost for me. And Jesus continues in verses 28 through 30. But don't begin, don't begin following me until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. And they would say, there's that person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. What good is half a house? 
What good is a half faith? Well, they're both a start, aren't they? But to get the whole benefit, to have a place to live, you have to finish the build. And to finish the build, you have to know the cost. So try really hard to imagine a much younger version of myself following along the path the world has laid out for me. And perfectly content, by the way, to just keep on doing that when I ran into Jesus. And now I see this other path I can follow. What should I do? How do I decide? Well, what is the world offering me? What is the gospel offering? And what are the costs? What are the benefits? Isn't the gospel really old? Does it have any value today? So is it worth it to follow Jesus anymore? And those are questions I had to struggle with and that each one of us has to answer for ourselves and frankly keep answering over and over our whole lives. But before we really talk about that, I need to expand on something that Dave talked about a little bit last week because we know there is something underlying all of these questions that we're getting that needs to be addressed a little bit more fully. So I'm just gonna take a little sidebar with you first. Some of our struggles and questions with faith don't have to do with following the gospel message or following Jesus at all. Some of our struggles have to do with other Christians. And this was a huge barrier for me deciding to follow Jesus because as a group, sometimes we absolutely stink. We do, I do. We have church leaders in the news way too often with one failing after another and whole churches that somehow seem to find a mission in condemning and picketing and causing pain. A couple months ago, I'm watching the news and this lady is on the news and she is declaring that judgment is coming right now and God is separating the sheep from the goats now. So she's trying to reference Matthew 25. Now, God bless her enthusiasm, but Jesus himself says he doesn't know when the day of judgment is coming. Only the Father knows. So I really doubt this lady knows, right? But then to make things worse, the reporter asked her, well, are you a sheep or a goat? And she says, well, I'm not a sheep. What? <laughs> so my friend is watching with me, and she just rolls her eyes and gives me this look like, so that's your group, huh? Because even my atheist friend knows that Jesus picks the sheep, right? And this story is supposed to remind us how to view each other, serve each other, treat each other. It's certainly not about us having authority to judge each other, right? And Christians throughout history have misrepresented the gospel like this or in far worse ways. And we have done things that are not consistent with Jesus' teachings. Sometimes we get things wrong. Embarrassingly wrong or incredibly, hurtfully wrong. We do. I do. But you know, as I was thinking about this, I realized something. Every group of people has this problem. I mean, can you imagine being a lawyer? Well, some of you can imagine it because you are lawyers, and lawyers have done some great things, but you have to put up with entire joke books about yourselves, right? And. Uh, ambulance chaser commercials and billboards and all kinds of slang about you. But if you are a lawyer 
who fights for justice, or families, or civil rights, or protecting the poor. Do you quit because of a few bad apples? No, because what you're doing is still important and worthwhile. And teachers have to put up with colleagues who are inappropriate with children. And that has to be heartbreaking to someone who devotes their entire life to them. But they keep on teaching anyway, right? There are financial advisors who steal, and contractors who do shoddy work, and doctors who are lazy. But most are trying hard to do the right things. They just don't make the news. So one of the costs of following Jesus is that you are following him with a bunch of other imperfect people who will no doubt embarrass you, get it wrong, or let you down. And then you have to endure the ridicule of being associated with the group. So, should we quit? Is it worth it anymore? It doesn't excuse the wrongs at all. But the truth is that we're humans and not Jesus. And we need all the grace we can get. And then we need to try to do better together. I need you. We all need each other to do better. And if you missed Dave's teaching about this last week, I encourage you to go back and um, delve into it a little bit more deeply. But I also want to give you some encouragement, okay? A lot of people have done some pretty cool things because they're working together trying to follow Jesus. The recognition of children as human beings, the inclusion and elevation of the status of women, whom Jesus included significantly in his ministries, and even the development of hospitals were all the results of people trying to work together to follow the teaching of Jesus. Before Jesus, children, women, and the sick were literally disposable. Compassion marked the work of the church from the very beginning, and today, that compassion can still be seen in organizations all of us rely on. Things like the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, Habitat for Humanity, World Vision, and our own partner in Haiti, UCI. Even universal education was promoted and developed because early believers thought that if we were all supposed to share the gospel, we should all be able to read it in any language, which thank God, because I do not read or speak Aramaic. So, a lot of really good things have been done by people who are trying to follow Jesus. But I'm not asking you to follow people. Not the leaders of Orchard Hill Church, certainly not the teaching team, not Andy Stanley, or Bob Goff, or Beth Moore, or any of the other inspiring voices of Christianity today. I'm asking you to consider if it's worth it to believe the gospel and to follow Jesus, or is it better to follow the world? The world tempts us to follow it by offering the same things that Satan tempted Jesus with as he began his ministry, physical things, security, and significance. And these are the things we try to gain so hard in one way or another as we try to follow the world. Now, we know how the world tries to convince us that it can satisfy us with physical things. That's pretty obvious. And it tells us these things will make us happy. And I was way, way down that path before I decided to follow Jesus. The path of work harder, make more money, even at the expense of my family, or others. 
so I can buy more and more stuff, which becomes obsolete by design, but that's okay, because then I can just work harder to make more money, to buy more stuff that will say it will make me happy. And it just keeps going and going and going. Commercials can reveal so much about this teaching of the world. You guys know this commercial? Mercedes-Benz, the best, or nothing. I mean, what does that mean? If I can't drive the best, should I walk? <laughs> or does that mean if I don't have the best, I'm nothing? And do I need to keep getting the newest model of the best to remain the best? And who says that's the best anyway? You guys, I realize something. The world entices us to try and reach a goal that is never attainable. We can never have the most or be the best because the goal line keeps changing. It's like a mirage out in the desert. You can never reach it, get a drink, and be quenched. The cost is that our physical needs will never be met permanently. We will always be thirsty again. We will never be satisfied. We will always need more, more money, more stuff. We can't win. But the gospel says, Jesus is the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty, he says. The least in his kingdom shall be first. He doesn't care what kind of car I drive or how much money I have or if my phone is the latest version. He likes poor people and widows and lepers and nobodies and even tax collectors. But he also has a cost for us. Leave your selfish desires behind. Leave behind your need for approval from other people. Care what Jesus thinks and teaches more than your boss or your neighbor or your best friend. Trust him to provide what you really need. And it is so easy to sit here in this place and say yes to those things. But it is a real cost out in the world. And Jesus says, before you follow me, count this cost. The world tricks you into thinking it can give you security in a similar way. Put your trust in it and we will be protected. We think that if we have enough money, associate with the right people, live in the right neighborhood, if our political party is in control, if we go to the right university, invest in the right 401k, or even use the right essential oils, we will be on the path to security. Security from what? You guys, I don't know a single person, no matter how hard they try to be secure, that can escape heartbreak, grief, illness, or those no see bugs that are out right now. <laughs> there is no security from those monsters. And if you watch Discovery Channel or National Geographic, you are just sure that we're all gonna die from a meteor hitting the earth or a super volcano at Yellowstone or a solar flare or some other horrible catastrophe anyway. Security in this world, it's an illusion. And I'm not saying that you should never think about safety or save for retirement or make smart choices about boyfriends so you can at least try to avoid some heartache. But the idea that you can make yourself bulletproof, it's just 
not true. And in the end, the truth is that we all die. And neither your billion-dollar bank account nor your peppermint eucalyptus essential oil can stop it. So does Jesus offer to keep us safe? Not really. But what he offers is the truth. In this world, you will have trouble, he says. Sorry, Jesus, but no kidding. Like, I don't have to be here very long to figure that out for myself, right? But he doesn't lie about it. Instead, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. I will be with you to the end of the age, he says. I will send you a helper, the Holy Spirit. You can join my family, and we will walk through things with you like grief and illness and tragedy and sickness. And we will celebrate with you too when you have joy and triumph and good times. And at the end of your time in this world, he says, I have made a place for you in my father's house. So I calculated that I have seen nearly 80,000 patient encounters during my career as an eye doctor. And I've had the privilege of seeing people in every stage of life. And today, I especially have fondness for some of my older patients who were just middle-aged when I started taking care of them. And I have noticed something about these dear people, followers of Jesus. Those who know him and trust him tend to be much more at peace as they get to this age of their life. And they share wonderful stories with me and talk to me about faith and meaningful things. They're excited to see their place in the Father's house. They don't talk to me about money or cars or what their job was because their security doesn't come from those. Their security is found in Jesus. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, we're in verses 11 and 12. But you, people of God, flee from all of this. Flee from all worldly things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. These dear friends of mine have fought the good fight, and they are reaching out to take hold of the eternal life to which they were called, and they have been a huge encouragement to me a huge reassurance of my choice to follow Jesus. Reminder, our security lives in him and nothing else. Theirs are the voices telling me, Steph, it's still worth it. Keep going. Finally, the world tries to offer you significance, importance, fame, Satan said to Jesus, bow down and worship me and I will give you the whole world. And it's easy for us to want to be important, known by everyone, right? Who wouldn't want that? But at what cost? What would you do to become famous? What do we bow down to in order to make that happen? I often use this game called Would You Rather as an icebreaker when I lead new groups. I love that game. But here's one question I have stopped asking. Would you rather be famous for being really horrible or be fairly unknown but well-respected? Would you rather be famous for being really horrible 
or be fairly unknown but well-respected. I stopped asking it because someone would always pick the horrible but famous choice, and it started breaking my heart because the cost of that choice is incredible, isn't it? Jesus says it this way in Matthew 16, 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And I would suggest that seeking to become famous or important or significant in the eyes of the world will often cost us way more than it's worth. How many times do we do things, post things, say things, in order to gain the attention and approval of the world, to make sure we're not forgotten, to make sure that someone notices us, even at the cost of our own integrity or at the expense of someone else. I even read an advertising article a couple of weeks ago suggesting that companies or individuals go ahead and do something bad on purpose rather than be overlooked. It's a contest for attention at any cost. But the gospel is radically different about seeking the spotlight. It says not to make a big show of your works. Pray where no one can see you. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you must become a servant. You must become less important. And I struggle with that cost. Do you? I mean, I want people to see me, to think I'm great, to notice my work. But I want you to think about this. Even as we strive to have the world notice us, the world is just waiting to take us down, even for something minor. Do you know how many presidents and first ladies I have seen slip or stumble down the steps of Air Force One? Why? I'm not hanging out at the airport, I promise you. Because any misstep is aired over and over and over again so that we can all laugh and be snarky at the expense of someone else. On the other hand, God has watched me my whole life, and he knows everything I've done and said or even thought, and he knows me like no one else, and he still calls me loved and invites me to belong. He doesn't broadcast a highlight reel of all the stumbles of my life. I don't have to try and get or earn or keep his attention. I had his attention before I was even born, when Jesus was thinking about me as he died on that cross. And so did you. Every one of you had and still has his attention. What if we reversed this question? What if we asked God, God, are we still worth it anymore? I am confident that he would stretch out his arms again and he would say, you, with your brokenness and your stumbles and your mess-ups and your grief or whatever you bring in here, you were worth everything to me and you still are. The world says, follow me. Look what I can give you. And so I looked, 
And I even tried it for a while. And it wasn't real. And it wasn't even something I really wanted anyway. It was an illusion of temporary happiness, false security, and seeking importance in the wrong things. It promises you everything. But in the end, it delivers nothing. Jesus said, count the cost. So I did, and I gained things I could only really get from him. Contentment, real security, belonging, purpose beyond myself, and eternal life. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Why did I trade in the world for the gospel with complete joy? Because I knew I was getting a treasure far greater than everything else I had. And if you have already made that choice to believe the gospel and follow Jesus, we are here to encourage you as you finish your build. It's worth it. Keep going. And if you're still thinking, if you're still counting the cost, please let me know how I can help you. I really mean that. And if you decide the cost is worth it, just start. There are no magic words to say, we don't have a double top secret initiation. You just start following. You start learning about Jesus. You start giving him your life. You start the build. And brick by brick, you keep on building until it is finished. I promise you, it is still worth it. Would you say a prayer with me? Oh, Father, please, please forgive us when we turn our faces away from you and toward a world full of illusions. Thank you so much for sending Jesus to show us the path back to you. Help us have hearts and minds to see that clearly. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to help us finish the build from the first foundation to the last brick. Lord, we offer this prayer in your holy and precious name and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.